Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14. Obviously, as an overview, I can't get into lots of detail, but we will be drawing from various aspects of that passage of Scripture. Paul, the Apostle, started his church. That was the nature of apostolic ministry. Paul would travel from city to city and preach the gospel, gather people, instruct them what God did in Christ, how he raised him from the dead, how he established a new community. He would lay what we would call an apostolic foundation of understanding what it is to be in Christ, to be the people of God. And he would do that in one city, move on to another, do it again. And actually the church of Corinth he, when he arrived there, he was quite scared, actually, the Bible says. He, he was trembling a bit uh, on the threshold of the city. And uh, it says the Lord came to him at night and said, Be of good courage, uh, Paul, I've got many people in this city. And he had an encounter with God uh, to give him courage to go in. Uh, yeah, I've got many people, but he didn't say what kind of people. They were quite difficult people. I think he should have been a bit kinder than Paul. I've got some real problem people at home. <laughs> Well, Corinthians is a, a letter to troubled people, but he's so proud of them, he celebrates that. You don't lack any spiritual gifts, you're God's among you. And he had this tremendous attitude of faith and courage and commitment, believing God would have a people for himself among the nations. And so we're looking at this passage, and I want to approach it by, first of all, a kind of broad uh, kind of backdrop to it, and say, first of all, we're talking about the age of the Spirit's presence, okay? The age of the Spirit's presence. Chapters 12, 13, 14 are going to talk about the presence of the Holy Spirit in the church. Now, he's had to deal with a number of issues, but this is what he's coming to now, the age of the Spirit. We just need to back up a bit and just remember what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God created the heavens and the earth in all their majesty and glory. He created Adam in his likeness, called him Son of God. He's called the Son of God. He, he somehow carries the majesty of in the image of God. He's told to multiply and fill the earth. He's meant to represent God all over the world so that he can bring in God's dominion and glory all over the whole creation. He, he's the Son of God. He's enjoying fellowship with God. And then the Bible tells us that he was spoiled. Adam and Eve were spoiled. They were tempted away from trusting God. And the whole thing fell down. The whole thing was wrecked, as it were, from the beginning. And the human race fell. Human race, in fact, we're told, died. They were, they were existing, but out of step with God. They were dead. This is eternal life to know God. That's what life is. It's knowing God. And they stopped knowing God. They didn't know God. They were pushed out. They were not allowed to stay in the Garden of Eden, the Garden of God's presence. It was protected and going, get out, they were out. And, and the human race began to multiply, but they're dead and blind and foolish and ignorant. And then there comes this extraordinary day where God begins his great plan of salvation. He does it by kind of arresting one of these pagans, a man called Abraham. He comes to Abraham and says, the Bible says, the God of glory appears to our father Abraham. And he comes to this one man and he's never abandoned his purpose. God's purpose is to fill the earth with his glory. He's never abandoned that. But the human race has lost its way. But he comes to one man and makes an amazing promise. He says, 
through you, I'm going to, through your seed, through your descendants, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth. He says, can you count the stars? So many will your children be. So wrapped up in this guy is God's plan to bless all the nations. And this man is now in the presence of God. God makes him acceptable. He's declared righteous by God. And now one man is in fellowship with God. One man is alive. And then through his seed, and through his descendants, there comes a people who are in the presence of God. So he has, he has a son. He has Isaac. And then Jacob, the, 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 the sons are born to him. He has these children who come on, let me know the nation. We can't spend all the time in this, but we know that the nation, a man called Moses, is raised up by God. God of glory appears to Moses, a burning bush. He's staggered and amazed, and suddenly it speaks to him. He says, No, I've called you because this nation of Abraham's children have now become slaves in Egypt. They're multiplying like God said they would, but they're in Egypt, they're slaves, they've got no freedom. And God comes to Moses and says, I'm going to bring them out, but you're my instrument. And, and this bush is burning and glowing and he speaks to it by name, and he's another man suddenly in the presence of God. He says, who am I that I can do this? He says, it doesn't matter who you are, I am that I am. And the eternal God is on the move. And this guy goes down to Egypt, Moses goes down to Egypt, and brings two million slave Israelites out. Brings them out of captivity. Accepts them as his people. And, and somehow a nation is born through what's called the Exodus. Brought, they come out through the sea and they're kind of brought to life. And they become betrothed to God. God says to them, you only have I known. Out of Egypt I call my son. It's like an Adam, my son. Now, two million people, you're my son. You, you collectively are my people. My presence will go with you. The presence of God, uniquely, nowhere else. God isn't appearing in Alaska. He's not appearing in Australia. He's not appearing in Mexico. It's only you have I known. You're the only people I've known. You're uniquely in relationship with me. And I'm going to bring you into a land. When I bring you into this land, my presence will be with you. My presence will be there. Wow, we have the wind in the presence. Yeah. This land, it says, it says that there'll be cities you've not built. Vineyards you've not planted. You're walking and it's, it's, it's like another creation. And my, my eye will be upon it and the rains will fall upon it and blessing will be there. I will be, I, the living God, will be with you uniquely in this nation. It's like we're starting again, and you will be a light to the nations. You're, you're, you're going to be the nation, the light of all people. My, my commitment is uniquely to you. My presence is with you. But as they go into the land, God says to them, look, look, look. You mustn't serve other gods. You must be loyal to me. You must walk in covenant relationship with me. It's rather like it was at the beginning that God created Adam and Eve and said, look, this is on, that is out. And how he's saying to these people, listen, you must walk with me. And then tragically they don't. And tragically they wander off and they start worshipping the gods of the land, which are disgusting things, with disgusting lifestyle. And God sends them prophet after prophet after prophet to don't, don't go this way. And then ultimately comes this word, you can't stay in the land anymore. Just like Adam and Eve were pushed out 
of Eden where God's presence was, now this nation's been thrown out of this land where God's presence had been. And so now the people of God are outside of the presence of God. But God makes some promises. He says, look, I won't leave you. I will bring you back. I'm going. God's patience is breathtaking. His commitment to bless the whole world never changes. But these people need disciplining. And he brings them back into the land. And then there comes this time after many years of promise and waiting where God steps in uniquely. And it says that we've been seeing holy, 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 this three-person God. Suddenly it says the word, the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh. And we beheld his glory. Suddenly God has stepped in. Suddenly the presence is there in a man now. Now in the Old Testament, even when they were travelling through the journey through the wilderness, he said, make me a tent. <laughs> they were interested. He, he wanted his own tent. They called it the tabernacle, where the presence of God was specifically. There was a glory cloud, there was presence was around, but suddenly this tent was the place where he would especially manifest his glory. And when it was first made, first built, it's just the, the presence of God fell upon it. And the glory of God was all over it, so much so that Moses couldn't even get in. The glory was so intense, majesty, glory, God. And then when John writes in the Gospel, he says, the word became flesh and we beheld his glory. And he, it says, tabernacled among us. It's used that same word. In the Old Testament, it's a tent made of animal skins. And his glory rests upon it. Now it's a man in a human body. And the Bible says in Hebrews, God spoke in all sorts of ways in the Old Testament. In these last days, he's spoken to us through a son. God speaking to us in language we can understand. A man actually with us. As we saw his glory. And these guys began to call them. Peter, Andrew, follow me, follow me, follow me. And he began to gather a little group. And they were with him. They were living in the presence of God. Just ordinary guys. The Bible, the Bible doesn't give us sort of statements. It tells stories about people so we can identify. We can say, oh, that's like me. That's how, well, that's what happened. So we see these stories. We see frail guys like Peter, James, John. They're living with Jesus every day. They're in the presence of God. Uniquely, the presence of that God is with them. And when they first followed Jesus, I guess they weren't quite sure who he was. I mean, he's a teacher. He's a miracle worker. He's phenomenal. And so they left their nets. I'm with you. I'll just be with you. They're with, with God. They didn't know why they were with God at first. They're, they're with this remarkable man. But gradually, he, he does stuff that amazes them. Amazes them. Uh, I wonder, I mean, they're, they're in a boat, and they're fishermen, some of them. And the storm is so great that they are scared out of their lives. And they're fishermen, they're experienced. And he's sleeping. And it's like, I don't care, don't you care, it's scary. We're, we're going to die. And he says, he got up and just said, shush. And the storm stopped. And they say, what manner of man is this? <laughs> Imagine being with God every day. Being with God every day. You know, imagine, I guess it's just like, oh, we're with him. He had nowhere to lay his head. He kind of slept rough, and these guys were with him. 
One time we went up a mountain. He says that 5,000 people, 5,000 men followed him. He says, and women and children. A very great teacher called D.A. Carson says probably 25,000 people in all. The 25,000 people, by this Jesus gathering crowds, and he goes up this mountain, they will follow him, and he teaches them and heals some. And they sleep rough. They wake up in the morning, he teaches and heals some more. And they sleep rough again. On the third day, he healed them all. So 25,000 is like a sort of small town. And they're all healed. God has come on this mountain. It's like, wow. Everybody's healed. And the teaching is sublime. We've never heard anyone speak like this man. See, they, they, the Pharisees sent guys to capture him. And they went to capture him. And they, they listened to him. And they came back. Where is he? Oh, no, I never spoke like this man. They were amazed. I mean, just amazed. They lived with him. And then, and then after three days, the apostles say, Hey, you better tell them to go. They're getting hungry. You follow us for three days. And Jesus says, to them, You feed them. Uh-huh. What have you got? Hmm. Handful of loaves and fishes. Bless, feed them. Imagine Peter would have gone, uh, Okay, well, bit for you. Bit for you. Yeah. And then you think, Hey, what's happening? What is happening? What? And then, they feed them all, and there's food to spare. It's like, wow, Jesus, what are you going to do tomorrow? They live with Jesus. Then comes a word in John chapter 13, verse 33, where Jesus says this, I won't be with you much longer. I wonder if you've ever seen that. I, I, I read that not so long ago. I thought, wow, I wonder what it was like for Peter to think, I'm not going to be with you much longer, but my, my whole life now is being with you. I've left everything. I mean, to be a Christian is not, hey, we meet in that building on Sundays and actually midweek we meet there, now you're a Christian. No, no, he had left everything to be with Jesus. That's what being a Christian was. He's from the people of Jesus every day. It's with Jesus. And he's not going to be here. You think, what was that it then? Was it just like a three, that was it? Three years of God being with us and now it's all over. I should imagine Peter was devastated. But in chapter 14, Jesus says this, I won't leave you orphans, I'll come to you. What do you mean you're coming? You said you're going. Imagine Peter. Like, what are you saying? Like, no, I don't be, I'll come to you. It's okay, guys, he's coming. <gasps> Jesus, don't you ever speak to me like that again. <laughs> You scared the life out of me. I thought I was going to live with God. Now you're going away. Oh, he's not. He's coming. Oh. oh. Thank God it's not all over. What does that mean? I won't leave you orphans. I'll come to you. On the day of Pentecost, they're all waiting. You know, we can't talk about Christ's resurrection, but on the day of Pentecost, Suddenly, from heaven, the sound like a rushing wind. Suddenly, fire falls from heaven. And suddenly, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And I imagine Peter saying, He's back! He's back! We're back in the presence of God. See, brother, that's just kind of quick, I hope quick, overview of what is it to be in the presence of God? 
That's our privilege, to be in the presence of God. That's what we go out on the streets to talk about people, to people about. Because they don't know what the world is. We don't know what we're for. They haven't got a clue what life's about. We have to for men and women. We don't know what we are, we don't know why we're here. Because they don't know God. But God came. God fellowship with men and talked with them. And John said, I leaned on it. And he wrote later, the life was manifested. We beheld him. These people lived with God for three years. And then and then said, Oh, we think with you much longer, but the Spirit will come. The presence of God. On the day of Pentecost, the presence of God came. And the church became the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we are living, beloved, in the age of the Spirit. The age of the Spirit. You go through your Bibles, right through those of the Old Testament, there's occasional people who are touched by the Spirit. But God says, in the last days, I pour my Spirit on all flesh. And that's what they said on the day of Pentecost. They're full of the Spirit. They were not speaking in tongues, languages they've never learned. And they're out in the end, they're just glorifying God, speaking in these languages. And crowds say, what is going on here? And Peter said, this is what the Old Testament promised. In the last days, I'll pour my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Well, sons and daughters are the special guys like Elijah in the Old Testament. Samuel, maybe. One guy in a generation. I mean, one guy is the prophet for our generation. No, no, no. I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. It says in Acts, the man called Philip had four daughters who prophesied. I've often thought, what was it like at breakfast in that home? <laughs> yeah. Wow, these, these gifts of the spirit were that. So the second heading for that, first setting was the age of the spirit. We're in it. We're in the age of the spirit. Second heading is the activity of the spirit's presence. The age of the spirit's presence. The activity of the Spirit's presence. And that's what Paul is writing about in 1 Corinthians. This church, this church has come to birth where they lack no spiritual gift. He writes early on. This is how the presence of the Spirit is manifested. Through fruits, which we'll look at in a moment, and gifts. Supernatural presence of God. The church is a supernatural phenomenon. Often people say, what's church? The people find their money, funny loans, and dress up. And, you know, it's the people full of God. That's the, what the Bible says. And so when you gather, it says, 1 Corinthians 12, says, when, you, when you're there, it says, concerning spirituals, brothers, that's his opening line, concerning spiritual gifts, I don't want you to be unaware. So he's opening up this whole phenomenon. How is the Spirit present? Well, actually, He's present through gifts. And they're supernatural. Right? So supernatural things happen when we're together. Because God's amongst us. God's amongst us. And so supernatural, spiritual, they are not natural. Right? So when you come to look at it, you'll cover lots of detail, lots of different gifts, and you start looking at those things in the autumn, I guess. There are a number of them, but they're not, they are supernatural. It's God's, it's the Spirit upon people. The Spirit coming upon us. The Holy Spirit being manifest. So we suddenly find we can see and do things 
But you can't do naturally. We can see the sick being healed. We can hear prophetic statements. People speak languages they've never learned. People have a gift to interpret what they said. We, we come together and God's present with us. The spirit is there. It's spiritual, not naturals. Not naturals. No, it's lovely to hear natural testimony. It's lovely when someone says, may I just share my testimony? And we share something, yeah, it's something I've experienced. Yeah, if you like, that's a natural. But a spiritual is when you hardly know what you're going to do. But it just begins. We had a beautiful song here this morning. Just a singing out, singing out what was stirred by the Spirit in our brother's heart. It's a gift, it's the Holy Spirit. He didn't know he was going to do that. It happens. It happens. I was in the meetings last weekend when that happened. I was in a prayer meeting yesterday morning with our church we around. It happened. God comes in the meeting and things happen. Oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. It's spiritual. It's not natural. It's not, oh, when I go to church, I'm going to share that story, which is great. Nothing wrong with that. Beautiful. But, you know, it's, it's natural. That happened to me this week. I thought it might be encouraging. Praise God. The spiritual, hey, whoa, where did that come from? The Holy Spirit did it. Because this is the way, or one of the ways in which the Holy Spirit manifests His presence in the church. Through spiritual gifts. They're spirituals. They are, our translators say spiritual gifts, but the, the literal is just the spirituals. Concerning spirituals. I don't want you unaware. I want you not to be ignorant about them. I want you to know about them. And, and then it talks about gifts, charismata, in verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the author of these gifts. Now, again, let's just look at the word gifts as we press on. It doesn't say rewards for special people. You will find that really the exemplary people among you will be rewarded. It doesn't say that. It says these are gifts. And even the church at Corinth, as you perhaps looked at the whole thing, they're not very exemplary people. They are not very impressive. But he says you don't lack any gift. And I find it's so difficult to comprehend because we're in a kind of action and reward culture. If you do this, you get that. If you do well, you might get this. One or two of my grandkids have just finished their season at one school, moving on to another. They get these awards. Show the picture of the grandparents. Hey, we did well. Oh, of course, we're pleased with it. But these are not for people who did well. They're gifts. They're for people who didn't even do very well. See, Simon Peter did not do very well when it came to the cross. When it came to Jesus laying down his life, and he told them several times, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I will die. They would take me in prison, and he, he just didn't listen. And then Jesus said to be careful. You will deny, no, no, I won't deny, others won't deny. And then he fouled up terribly. Are you with Jesus? No, I don't know him. But surely, no, I've never heard of him. But said, no, he says, he cursed and swore and said, I do not know him. It's chief follower. I don't know him. Well, you're out of here, Peter. No, no, he's not out of here. Because God is a God of incredible grace. And he, he has a, a restoration. I always think, you know, this is a personal interview we're allowed to eavesdrop on when Jesus and Peter will talk after the resurrection. 
Do you love me? Do you love you, Lord? It's like you're reinstated. I can imagine on the day of Pentecost, Peter's expectation was, well, well, thank you, Lord, for mercy. I'll stand at the back. Well, uh, go on, James, preach it. Go on, the eye blew it. You know, preach it, James. No, no, no. Peter, standing with the eleven, preaches on the day of Pentecost. But man, you are not worthy. See, gifts, but it's gifts. They're not prizes for having done well. So that means it's accessible to every one of us. We're not meant to say, I'm not, I'm not worthy of this. I've had the privilege of laying hands on people to receive the Holy Spirit, which is something in the Bible. And sometimes people are just about to pray for me and say, oh, I'm not worthy. I feel like saying, well, of course you're not. Well, no, perhaps God's not ready for me yet. How long are we going to wait? It's a gift. It's not, it's not even worthy. None of us is worthy. These are spirituals and they're gifts. And it says in verse 7, the manifestation of the Spirit is full of common good. In other words, in other words through these various gifts, the presence of God is known and the, the Holy Spirit becomes manifest. He's manifest. It's the way we something that, hey, God is in the meeting. God is in the meeting. I know when, uh, I, I was in London at the Bible College. These things were quite new to me. And uh, I'd come from a good Baptist church in Brighton, a very faithful Bible teacher, but everything else was very predictable and so on. There was nothing of this stuff. And I just stumbled into this stuff before I came to London. And I, and I went to this church where it was crowded, crowded, normal people in there, but quite a small room, a bit smaller than this room, and you couldn't all get seats. And uh, God was so manifest in the worship. And I, I met, not far from here really, near, quite, near Charing Cross, in, in the boardroom of a block of offices. And uh, people just crowded in. We didn't have any musicians at all. We you know we sing and go through the meeting, it was wonderful. And uh, you, you couldn't get a seat if you were a bit late. And I remember one day, it was my birthday. And uh, that day, my birthday, someone gave me a birthday card at Bible College, and it had one of my favourite verses. I thought, oh Lord, this is wonderful, thank you. Amazing, they didn't know it was my verse. You know, we've all got favourite verses. My verse, thank you Lord, how amazing they gave it to me. And then I tear off my daily diary thing, or calendar, tear it off. There's another, on my birthday. Wow, Lord, this is amazing. Two verses that mean so much to me, and they come to me on my birthday. Thank you, Lord, this is amazing, I'm so grateful. When I go to church, I'm in this crowded crowd, the worshiping, praising, and I've got the communion plate in my hand, and I'm gonna give it to the next guy, and there's a fellow sitting here on the floor, because there's no chair for him, and I, I'm stepping over him to give it to the next guy. And as I'm, I'm one, foot, one side, one foot, the other, he starts prophesying. <laughs> and I'm standing there. And he's prophesying as to one person. And he quotes both the verses. And the hair on my neck and arms stand up. And I think, God is in this place. God is in this place. I thought, I want to be in a church like this. God is here. The manifestation of the Spirit. 
will it come under it? God speaking. When I was struggling, when I was meant to be full time, was I meant to give up my job? I used to work. Just opposite Westminster Chapel. I used to work in London. Commuting from Brighton every day, every day. And I'm getting this sense of, is God calling me? God calling me? God calling me? And I think, well, I should do And I, I went off to the local Pentecostal church. I, I, I thought, well, who knows what will happen? And I go there, and one prophecy is about, I want you to spend more time with me. And this is what I'm wrestling with. I leave home at seven, I get home at seven. The whole day just earning my money. I've got this sense, Lord, you want my life. And, and, and I think, okay, but yeah, you want more of my time. It's like God's speaking to me. I think, well, how do I live? How do I, what will I do? And there's another thing, another prophecy. Those who put me first, I look after them. Wow. I gave them my notice the next day. God spoke. God spoke. It's, been, it's had to live with a church of God. God speaks. Things happen. We're open to God. <laughs> We're open to God. God has spoken. One of the ways in which the whole thing we call New Frontiers came to birth like this. God spoke. Some pastors began to fellowship. I began to help guys plant in new churches. And one day we're praying together. And as we're praying together, one of the guys has a dream, has a vision, sure something. And he said, I've got something to share. And he began to prophesy. And he saw a herd of elephants, which is not very flattering at the moment, but a herd of elephants, and they're all charging. And he said, they hit jungle terrain. And they keep going. I said, the only phrase when he prophesied was this, there are no well-worn paths before you, but together you can make a road where there is no road. And you can accomplish more together than you would apart. Many will follow. Wow, God has spoken. About 25 guys in the room. God has spoken. Well, what does this mean? We're meant to work together. Oh, we're already friends and Terry helps us, but... So what do we do with this? So we, we said, right, oh, we feel God's spoken, we're meant to work together. We came up with like 15 values, this is the sort of thing we believe, this is the sort of thing we want to do. We all agreed. We said, what should we call ourselves? There was this, this herd of elephants, new frontiers. That's okay, okay. By this time we're all called different names, New Life Church, this church, that church, but we all belong to New Frontiers. That's what started, about 20 guys. And as Daniel said, there's a couple of thousand around the world now. But it was birthed, birthed in a prophetic word. God spoke. God spoke. And another time we were working predominantly in the southeast. That's where I live, Brighton area. I've been planted churches all around the south coast and just coming up as far as London, a little. And there are other groups in different parts of the country we became aware of. So, oh, they're doing that. We won't go there. But we had contacts in Holland. We thought, I thought maybe we should go overseas. Wondering about it, planning about it. And as we're praying together, I see a vision. I see a vision of a map of England. And over the southeast of England, there's a bubble. And it's put on top of the corner of England, like that southeast corner. And the bubble is there, and the arrow on the map is being pulled back just as far as London. And I felt God said to me, You won't send arrows very far if you only pull back that far. You need to pull back right across the nation. So you can have seven. Go! Go! Okay, so 
that changed our philosophy. We're not going to just work to the southeast. And we started moving up into London and to Manchester and to the Midlands. And guys started moving. And the intention wasn't just to church plant in England, though that was obviously part of it, but to gain resources so we could go on mission. Go on mission. So this year we have just visited in Berlin, we were in Amsterdam, Rotterdam, we've got guys, woo, arrow after arrow, Istanbul, Madrid, Paris, Berlin, guys have gone, 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 because God spoke to us in prophecy. Said, plan across the UK, you'll get resources. Gone. Hey, we've been led by the prophetic all along. We need the prophetic. We need to hear God. God's presence is amongst us, and the way that's manifest is through spirituals, charismatic gifts, diverse gifts. And then you'll come to see it's worked as in a body. We're, we're a body. We're mutually dependent. And God gives gifts to different ones. And they make up together a body. So we're not just people, we're not just church goers. Don't you hate that phrase? Church goers. No, we're a body, you're getting it together. You feel part of one another. You feel involved in one another's lives. You care for one another. You get drawn together. And you function as a body. My last heading is the attitude to the Spirit's presence. Right? So we're the age of the Spirit. This is what's meant to happen. We're in that age. God's been building towards this for centuries. The age of all filled with the Spirit. Secondly, we've looked at the activity through spiritual gifts. That's how it happens. One of the ways it happens, spiritual gifts. Thirdly, our attitude. Well, where do you find teaching on the gifts of the Spirit? You'll find this emphasis on love. You'll find Ephesians chapter 4 has another list of the gifts of the Spirit. You'll find the phrase, in love, in love, in love. It's there again and again. 1 Peter 4, another mini-reference to gifts. Again, let love be genuine. And here, chapter 13, right in the centre of 12 and 14, which you will see is all about gifts and how they function, how they work, and you'll see this classic chapter, which is often taken out of context. and gets read at weddings and so on. But the context on the Bible is in the handling of all this dynamic stuff. The supernatural things that happen. And, and, and Paul is insistent it's done in love. Because it's not only the gifts of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love. God pours his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Our attitudes change. Our love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness. All kinds of beautiful fruits. And that's where the gifts function. And without that ingredient, we're in trouble. And that's what Paul had to write to the Corinthians about. He said, you're all drunk in meetings. You're saying, I'm of this group, I'm of that group. I mean, their attitudes were really bad. So love is essential in, in operating, if we're speaking in tongues, and without love, that clarity symbol. If we prophesy all mysteries, but we don't have love, it's rubbish. Give all that you have. And it's without love, it's a waste of time. So he invests in it, incredible fruits of love and peace and joy. The Holy Spirit bringing that. If we can be a community, beloved, who love one another, 
a patient with one another. Because the gifts of the Spirit create a context of slight discomfort sometimes. When we were first in the church, we started in the South Coast, the little church, directly after Bible College, and people were getting filled with the Spirit, so it was starting to happen. And a very recent convert, we led into Christ in a coffee bar. And the morning meeting, he suddenly prophesied in inverse commas and told us all off, says the Lord. <laughs> he's, you know, says the Lord. And when he finished, I just stood up and said, so do we all still love Steve? <laughs> and we did. And he stayed with us and became a pastor. But we have to be, love is patient. Love is gentle. Ephesians 4. With gentleness and forbearance and patience. We learn. Because you can make mistakes. You can make mistakes. It says if one prophesied in the other's way. That the other's way. It means when you, if you prophesy, it's not like, I know it's me, I know it's God, because I told you. No, no, it says that the other's way. Oh. The authority lies with the others. But I said, thus is the Lord. Yeah, but the authority lies with the others. Because it says we prophesy in part. In other words, we don't, we're not perfect. We can get it wrong. And so it says we've got to weigh the prophecies. But we've benefited amazingly from prophecies. But yeah, you can get imperfection. But because we love one another, we're patient, we're kind, we, we weigh it, we listen, we benefit hugely, we love people. And that's the, that's the context from 12 through this important chapter 13 into 14. And so there's liberty, but there's order. There's freedom, like we may not have known a certain gift might come in the meeting. Might not have known. But it's not that someone can ride rush all over us. Because the others can wait. So, well, hey, that isn't in the Bible. Because the Bible is the ultimate authority. In the way you said there's a prophecy, it's not going to say that in the Bible. So we, we have to wait, we have to wait. Some might say, why bother then? Well, because it's a massive blessing. Massive blessing. Incredible blessing. God says surprising things sometimes. God told us to close what we call the Stone Revival Week, which probably before most of you were born. It was a big, big thing to do. But it was prophetic that God spoke to us. And we could never have gone into the many spheres we've gone into now if we'd still been doing Stone. That decentralization would have been much too sharp. So, beloved, the second opening, our time is gone. I've been asked to give a kind of preparation or overview. You're going to work at it much more closely as you go ahead. But we are in the age of the Spirit. See, while they were away from the land, the land was where the presence was because the temple was there. The temple is where God's powerful presence is. When they were thrown out of the land, they started synagogues. That's when the synagogues were started. Before they were thrown, they didn't have synagogues. They didn't need synagogues. You got the presence, you got the temple. This will go up to Jerusalem. Wow, three times a year, the presence of God. The priest goes into the presence of God. When Jesus died, the curtain was ripped from top to bottom. Temple is redundant. But they're thrown out of the land. So what do they do? They do synagogues. What's a synagogue? 
for a place where the Holy Scriptures are kept, and for the gathered to the sacred writings. And sometimes the church is settled for that. We just gather to the book. We love the book, we need the book, but we don't gather to the present. The temple, we are the temple of the Spirit, not the synagogue. We're the temple where the presence is manifested. Let's believe God, let's press on as we build this glorious church for the glory of God. Expect for his presence, believe for his presence. And learn how to walk with God in it.